and moms and dads and everybody else, would you take your Bible and turn to Psalm 23? And I know, I know we preached on Psalm 23, but it's not the same message. I promise you it's not. So this week is week two of what we're calling our 50 days of transformation, actually radical transformation. We are not supposed to be the same people we were before we got saved. Once you come to know Christ, you're to be different. And, and if you're not radically different, something is wrong because we're supposed to be new creatures in Christ. So I ask you today, would you like to be physically healthier? Would you like to live longer if in fact you have a good, good health? Would you like to have less illness? Now, this is not what you think because, because it's not on exercise and diet and flu shots and stuff like that, though those things are absolutely important because our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. And one of the side things, you know, when, when I preach, I get our conviction about the things I study about because I'm in God's word and it convicts me. So I've been, I've been increasing my exercise. I know you can't tell yet that the dynamic change is coming. Just, just stay tuned. Okay. And it will be here, but, uh, I've been increasing my exercise. I've been watching my, been cutting out the potato chips and that's like the supreme sacrifice. I've been cutting out, you know, candy and you know, sodas. And I mean, you know, trying to do that and walking some more, a little extra, but, uh, that's not what this message is about, because uh, in Proverbs 14.30, Proverbs 14.30, the, the, the TEV, today's English version, says, peace of mind, are you ready for this, makes the body healthy. Peace of mind makes the body healthy. The NLT, that same verse, Proverbs 14.30, says, a relaxed attitude lengthens a person's life. When we can relax in the Lord and trust in the Lord, I was talking yesterday in our men's uh, discipleship, there's the test of faith to see if we're really in the faith, the test of, of life that come to us, and there's the rest of faith. And the rest is that we're able to relax in the Lord knowing that he is a sovereign God, knowing he can take care of every need, knowing that no matter what storm clouds come, no matter what problems hit us, God is still always God. I've been saying uh, lately to friends, it does, whoever's elected, it doesn't matter because the day after the election, God is still going to be gone. It does matter, but I mean, it, God is still going to be gone. God, the day after the election, uh, and Jesus is still going to be king, amen? So that's not going to change uh, one way or the other. And if we get good, bad, or ugly, which we probably will get one way or the other, um, then we're going to have to, we're going to, we're going to live with that, but we're going to live with a God who is, is sovereign in all the affairs of mankind. So last week we spoke on spiritual health, this week physical health, and one of the most frequent Causes of illness is stress. One of the most frequent, way over half the hospital beds they think, they surmise, are filled with people whose initial problem was not a physical problem, but stress that resulted in a physical problem. So there are seven major sources of stress, somebody said, and here they are. There's worry. of course. I mean, you know, that's kind of a general thing. That's that kind of collective. Work can be stressful. Anybody have stress at work? Yeah, okay. Uh, problems, that's pretty general. No, who, who here doesn't have problems? Indecision, I couldn't decide if that should be included in this list or not. A loss, personal loss. Opposition, yeah, that's stressful. And fear, fear is stressful. In fact, we spend billions of dollars on stress-related 
illnesses every single year, whether it be, uh, uh, whether it be in digestive-type problems, headaches, stress, I mean, wh- whatever. Uh, it takes a huge toll on us. So since there are seven major causes of stress, I- I'm, I'm going to give you seven spiritual habits for reducing stress, all of them found in Psalm 23, every single one of them. So uh, one of, this is one of the major components of what is called God's psychiatry. And, and God is for the whole person. God is for the physical, the mental, and the, the spiritual pi- part of us. And the spiritual part's dead until we get born again, until we get saved, and then it's alive. And then, so we're a triune being when we are saved. Before that, we're just a dichotomy with the, the body and the mental part. So here's the first one. Look to God to meet all your, the blank is, needs. Look to God to meet all your needs. I was trying to make a point with the kids up here. Um, did God prepare breakfast for them today? Not really, but God saw to it that they had breakfast through moms and dads and maybe brother and sister or maybe, you know, Jeanette doing her own breakfast. Did she bring breakfast in bed to you or whatever, you know? Okay, she set the table, good. So, so yeah, I mean, God provides all of our needs. He provides all of them. Sometimes it's through people. Sometimes he does it in a rather unusual way. Sometimes a supernatural way. But, but the bottom line is this. Don't worry if you're a child of God because God is our ultimate source. Stress results when we look to others instead of God to meet our needs. When we, when we try to figure out how we're going to do it when God promises the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In other words, I have all I need in him. In Philippians 4, 6, it says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for what he's done. Romans eight thirty two says, since God did not spare even his own son for us, but gave him up for us, won't he also surely give us everything we need? Won't he give us everything we need? Our stress drops dramatically when we realize how much you matter to God. He loves you so much. He loves you so much that he gave his son to die for you. So if he loves you that much, is he going to give his son to die for you and then leave you hanging over the cliff somehow without any basic needs? Stress reduction starts with looking to God. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want the Lord. Keep our eyes on God, not the problems. Keep our eyes on the Lord, not situations that pop up that try to keep keep us from looking at him. And Isaiah 30, 15 says, The sovereign Lord says, Only in returning to me and waiting for me will you be saved. In quietness and confidence is your strength. Not in whining and moaning and groaning and fretting and worrying, and, but, but in, in quietness and in confidence, the Lord is our strength. Return to him. Worship is the antidote to worry. So when something starts worrying us, let that prompt us to go to God and to begin praying about that thing in particular and, and visualize in our minds giving that thing absolutely to God. God, this is bigger than me. This is more difficult than I know how to handle. This is something that's beyond my ability. God, I give it to you. Might be your job, might be your health, might be your kids, might be your parents, might be, I don't know what. Worship is the first antidote to worry. So here's the first affirmation. I will trust God to meet my needs. Simple. I will trust God to meet my needs. But preacher, what, 
I will trust God to make my... Well, what if I will trust God to make... What if the wrong person is elected? I will trust God to meet my needs. What if anarchy rules in the, and reigns? I will trust God to meet my needs. You know, there are Christians dying right now for their faith. So it doesn't mean we won't have to die for our faith. I will trust God to meet my needs, no matter the situation. First affirmation, by the way, on the back table right there, that little tall table that has where we sign, have name tags, um, and I filled one out and it didn't stick. It fell off. So, But anyhow... Right there, there, I printed up uh, about 25 or 30 of these seven affirmations I'm going to give to you, and you ought to stick it on a bathroom uh, mirror or on the refrigerator, (laughs) Uh, if you go to the refrigerator a lot. Uh, Put it somewhere, and the first one is, I will trust God to meet my needs. Second point is this, obey God's instructions about rest. A lot of stress comes from overwork driven by materialistic desires or insecurities. Now... Some of you have these incredibly demanding jobs in the Navy. I know, I know that. I mean, you, are you on watch like for 12 hours at a time? Is that about, is that right? When I was younger. When you were younger. <laughs> okay. Some of these guys, 12 hours. And, and deployments can be brutal is what I understand with, with uh, you know, just the, the demands on, on you. And, uh, but some of us don't have those demands. Some of us just are driven. So we are driven and we don't, we somehow feel like rest is laziness or rest is like, uh, you know, that's just, that's just wasting time that I could be doing something really productive. But I'll tell you something, rest is necessary and rest is really productive. If you take a machine and you run that machine nonstop, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, month after month after month, at some point, if you don't maintain that, if you don't give that that machine some downtime to do whatever needs to be done with bearings or lubricating or sharpening blades or whatever else has to happen, it will fail. And the human body and the human mind and the human psyche will fail if it's pushed without rest. And so uh, God created us. And do you realize he could have made us to where we wouldn't have to have any sleep at all? He could have created us so we could operate round the clock, but he didn't do that. Instead of that, we spend somewhere around a third of our life sleeping, some more, some less, <laughs> some a lot more. Do you know that some, well, they're at work. Do you, do you know that God modeled rest in the creation? God didn't get tired, but on the seventh day, he rested. And I know sometimes people get the Sabbath, the seventh day is the Sabbath. That's, that's the Sabbath. So to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy was a day dedicated to rest. They weren't supposed to work. They weren't supposed to uh, go out and be productive in some you know, business way or some other way. They were to rest. So the principle here, though we're not under the, the, the ceremonial law, we are under the moral law, we are under the idea of this body and this mind requires rest, and so it's good to have time off. One thing I've tried to do our whole ministry, and I, I don't know, I don't mean to... I read about guys that burn out after 10 years or 11 years in ministry, and I go like, what? Because after 40 years, it's like 10 years, you're just getting, you know, you just get to know everybody. You know, you're, just, you're just getting established. But I have been diligent, and it's not because of me. I think it's because I have been diligent to take time off. We take a day off. When I had my staff, I had about 55, 60 staff members for several years, I, I told them, take off. Take, time, take your day off. We don't want to take advantage of you. Uh, don't want you to, I don't want to rust out, but I don't want to burn out either. 
So take the time off. Vacations, we've always taken vacations. We've always taken time. There were times in the early years when, when we would drive to Kansas to see her parents, and, and we would be, I would be there with them for a while. And then on, on either Friday or Saturday, I would go to the airport in Kansas City, fly back home, preach, Monday, go back to the airport, go back to Kansas, and then we'd go down to Texarkana, and the next Sunday I'd do the same thing. There were years I did that, and you remember that, Pat. Uh, and, and, but I took the vacation time, and I took time with my family, and I think it's important for, for us to rest, make sure that we take time to observe that Sabbath. Um, the command was included in the law of Moses, for crying out loud, that was inscribed with the very finger of God on tablets of stone. It was one of the big ten. So if we're not smart enough to obey God in this, he will make us take rest. He will make us do that. By the way, in the Old Testament, when they didn't observe the Sabbaths for a while, they had to catch up as a nation. He would bring them to a point where they had to catch up. And the Bible says, he makes me lie down. I'm told that sheep aren't smart enough to know when they need rest. I don't know that. I'm told that. And that's why the shepherd makes them lie down. Six days are set aside for work, but every seventh day you will rest completely, even during your seasons of plowing and harvest. We got some folks here from Illinois. We, we were in Taylorville uh, for a couple of years back in the 70s as a youth pastor, and in uh, those, the time of, of planting for the soybean crops and corn and so on, and the time of harvesting, sometimes people would you know, cut church. They'd say, we got to bring the crop. We got to get the crops in. We got to get crops out. We got to plant. We got to do whatever. You know what the Bible says? Bible says, rest one day a week, rest one day a week, even during the time of plowing and harvest, observe a Sabbath day. As a result of the French Revolution, Agat needs to testify to this, uh, Sunday was abolished as a day of rest, but it was later restored because the health of the nation collapsed due to burnout. I worked at a, a steel processing plant in Chicago Heights, Illinois, uh, for a couple of summers and um, we, were, we would work nine-hour days, six days a week. But we had that seventh day. Well, then they, the demand for the, the processed metal got so good, they, so big, that they said, we're going to work seven days a week. So we started working seven days a week, nine hours a day. And guess what happened to productivity? It went down dramatically. We cut back to six days a week, nine-hour days, and it went back up. You gotta have, You can't improve upon God's plan. Some say, well, I feel guilty if I relax. Well, Jesus didn't. Now, Jesus didn't feel guilty about it. Some say, well, the devil works seven days a week. Yeah, and if you work seven days a week, you're going to be more like the devil than you are the Lord. That's just the way it happens. <laughs> Take the day off. Rest your body. Refocus your spirit. Recharge your emotions. We, got, we went away for a couple of uh, weeks and, and come back. I'm, I'm just, I can't wait to preach. I'm, I, I don't... I don't get weary of preaching. I, I told people before, if, if I could have a big old steak dinner or preach, I would do both. That's what I would do. But if I had to do one or the other, I'd just soon preach as eat. And I honestly mean that. I just, and I like to eat. But I would rather preach than eat because I believe that one the part of it is I've observed God's law, tried to, about resting. So second affirmation is I will trust God by resting. I will trust God. By, try it. See if it doesn't work. Number three, recharge your soul with beauty. Do you ever wonder why the Lord created the world with such beauty? My wife loves tropical fish. 
The colors of tropical fish are unreal. And, and some of them are so deep in the ocean, a lot of people don't even see them or hardly ever see them, and yet they're there. God is a God of beauty. His creation is beautiful. Uh, you go to the mountains of Colorado, you go to the woods of uh, Montana, you go to the, the seashore, you know, here, right here in Coronado, you go to the deserts, even the deserts, there are beautiful things there the, in, in March or April, depending on the moisture that's available or not, beautiful wildflowers, they're weeds, but they're wild. They're beautiful. God's created this world, and he created it for us, for our pleasure, for our enjoyment, and for our health. Listen to this, Psalm 23. He makes me lie down in lush green meadows and leads me beside calm, quiet waters. He restores my soul. Is there a connection between lying down in green, lush meadows and beside beautiful still pools of water and restoring our health? That's a scene you can visualize. Paul said it this way in Philippians 4.8, you'll do best by filling your minds and meditating on things true, noble, reputable, authentic. Wait a minute. You cannot meditate by watching evening news. Or you will meditate, but it won't be on these things, right? Think about these things, that things that are true, Things that are noble, things that are reputable, things that are authentic, things that are compelling, things that are gracious. Think about the best, not the worst, the beautiful, not the ugly things in life. And, and news is filled with all the wrong kind of things to think about. And if you're, you have a steady input of the news and you're not getting at least as much from the Word of God, you, you're going to have negative thinking. You're going to have the wrong kind of thinking. Jamie was saying he, he, he doesn't watch a lot of television, a lot of the sitcoms and things like that because the plots, they're, they're not true and honest and authentic and pure and noble and all of that. So, so be careful, little eyes, what you see. Recharge your soul with beauty. Look at things that are beauty, that are beautiful. Someone said this, start your day with God, not the news or social media. Get outside, take a deep breath, look at the sunrise, look at the sunset. My wife probably has about 6,246 pictures of sunsets because she loves sunsets. Play an instrument or listen to good music, paint, decorate, enjoy the colors, enjoy the fragrances around you, enjoy life. Third affirmation is this, I will enjoy the beauty God has created. I will enjoy the beauty God has created. Number four, go to God for guidance. One of the common sources of, of stress is indecision. Not being, how many times do you have, oh man, what are we going to do? Are we going to do this? Are we going to do that? We, we lived in a house for 29 years, and, and we thought about buying another house, and Pat was our uh, realtor, in fact, for that, and uh, she will remember this very well. We, we, we went, we, we had nine, we looked at nine, I think it was nine houses, Trish, and, and we made offers, huh? Something like that, seven, eight, or nine, at least that, and, and so, and, we, and none of them, and this, finally this one's going through, and, uh, and then we couldn't, are we doing the right thing, are we do, and we called up Pat and said, is it too late to get our down payment back? Well, I don't know, but, you know, if you want to do it, we'll see. What. <laughs> we just could, said, no, no, we'll, we'll keep it. We'll, we'll go ahead and go through with it. But, I mean, some of life's decisions just are so difficult to make. 
indecision, and that causes stress. And, 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 and you come this fork of the road, you've got to go one way or the other, and you're stuck and you're paralyzed. Was it Yogi Berra that says if you come to a fork in the road, take it? It's never that easy, is it? <laughs> so let God tell you what to do, not Dr. Phil. Let God tell you what to do. Look, pray, read the word, wait, seek. I can't tell you how many times I found God's will and a decision that I made because of something I was reading here that just happened to apply to my situation in life because this is God's living word. This makes a difference. Even heathen kings knew to consult God, even when they consulted the wrong God. Listen to Ezekiel 21, 21, one of my favorite obscure scriptures in the Bible. The king of Babylon stood at the fork, uncertain whether to attack Jerusalem or Rabbah. He calls his magicians to look for omens. They cast lots by shaking arrows from the quiver. So they would take a quiver of arrows and they, okay, we've got, am I going to go to Jerusalem to attack or Reba to attack? Which one, which way do I go? I don't know which way to go. Uh, hey, bring my magicians here. They bring this quiver of arrows. They dump them out, kind of like uh, pickup sticks. <laughs> I don't know how they figure, maybe the ones, you know, the most of them with the arrows pointing toward Jerusalem. Okay, we'll go that way. Rabba will go that way. But that wasn't all. This, that's not my favorite part. They cast lots by shaking arrows from the quiver. And listen to this. They inspect the livers of animal sacrifices. How'd you like that job? You're a magician for, for the king of Babylon here, and so you, you, you take this liver from a, I don't know what, cow, squirrel, I don't know, squirrels have livers, uh, rabbit, uh, and, and you say, oh, hmm, uh, yeah, oh, oh, yeah, oh, Jerusalem. Yeah, liver said Jerusalem. Now, I'm not saying you need to go get your liver at Vaughn's and go home and figure out what you're supposed to do the rest of your life. I'm just saying even the heathen kings knew that they need input from God. And, and so we as Christians need input from God. If you're going to do something and it's, and it's a significant decision, especially the very least you ought to do is consult God about it. He guides me, Psalm 23, 3, he guides me in the right path for his name's sake. He guides me. In the right path. Fourth affirmation is this. God will guide me at the right time. You see, not only is the decision important, but the timing of the decision is important. So you got God's decision for you. You got God's timing for you. A lot of times we race ahead of God. Sometimes we lag behind God. So the right decision made at the right time. God will guide me at the right time. Fifth point, trust God in the dark valley. I got a neighbor in my, uh, I got a neighbor up the street who has a decals on his truck, and one of them is he's he's, uh, he says I am the shadow in the valley, and I am the valley too. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> he's a, he's a good friend, but no, you're not. This valley of the shadow of death. I mean, we talked about. This summer, what it actually was, and it was a passageway up to the to the other uh, grounds where they would take the sheep to feed in the in the springtime and, and summertime, so on. But but we all have valleys that we go through. There are several people who have valleys because of a truck going off the bridge yesterday and landing on a bunch of people who were in in Chicano Park. 
four people died instantly and several other to the hospital. All of a sudden, in a moment's time, lives were radically changed. That's a dark valley. Some of you have been through the darkest valleys imaginable. Losing someone you love. Losing a husband. Losing a wife. Losing a child. Losing a job. Losing your health. Loss, as you go through these dark valleys, can produce both grief and fear. And grief is okay. The grieving is a natural process. Fear is not okay, though it's, I don't claim to be above it, anywhere close to above it. We can all be fearful. I do know the Bible says perfect love casts out fear. When our love is complete, when we understand how much God loves us and when we love God the way that he wants us to, we don't have to be fearful and afraid. Whatever happens. Psalm 23, 4 says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me, your rod and your staff comfort me. And I like to say God who's God on the mountaintop is God in the darkest valley and the deepest valley. So here's what someone said. I thought it was wise. I wrote it down. Always turn your back to the shadow and look to the light. Turn your back to the shadow because it's scary and look to the light. Psalm 142.3 says, I am ready to give up. He knows what I should do. Fifth affirmation is this. I don't have to know all the answers when I know God. This is a big one. This is one I live with. I don't have to know all the answers to trust God. I don't have to know how it's going to work out to trust God. I don't have to see it right now to trust God. I don't have to see it in my lifetime to trust God. Number six, let God be your defender. Do you have opposition? Do you have criticism? Do you have enemies? Psalm 23, 5 says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You didn't dispel the enemies. You prepare a table. You take care of me. Your sustenance is available. Your protection is available even when my enemies are gathered around. And you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Psalm 18, 1 says, how I love you, Lord. You are my defender, my protector, my strong fortress. In you I am safe. You protect me like a shield. Faith in God is much better than thinking we have to do all the protecting of ourselves by ourselves. And maybe we're more like Christ when we humble ourselves before God and say, we can't do it. It's up to you, Lord. First Peter four nineteen. so if you are suffering according to God's will, keep on doing what's right and trust yourself to the God who made you, for he will never fail you. And, and so the sixth affirmation is simply this, God will take care of me. Last point is this. Expect God to finish what he started in you. Expect God to finish what he started in your life. I don't want anybody to raise your hands, but I wonder how many of us fear the future. Probably a bunch of us. Different aspects, different parts about the future, different things about the future, but I wonder how many really fear the future. Maybe expecting the worst, kind of a... Glass half empty type 
people. I wonder how many of us are like that. It dawned on me this week with my extra regiment of walking. It dawned on me to worry about things that might happen, even if they do happen down the road, robs me of the joy of, of, of appreciating today and enjoying today. And whatever happens five years from now, 10 years from now, whatever years from now, whatever happens, why meditate on that from now until then? Why not enjoy the blessings God has given to me and to you while we can? And if we go through that valley, guess what? God will be with us then. Because he said in verse 6, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Someone said, if we're the sheep, there are two sheepdogs that watch over us, goodness and mercy. I was watching a video today. It looked like about 5,000 sheep. I don't know how many it was, but it was an aerial view, and, and they had the sheepdogs working them. And, and this huge flock of sheep were funneled down into this one little gate and into the next pasture land. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And then it gets better because I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And folks, when you are yoked with Jesus Christ, we move in unison in the same direction at the same speed. So the last affirmation is this, God is not finished with me yet. God's still working on me. Is he still working on you? How can I improve my physical health? Well, lots of things that need to be done proactively, but like I said, this was kind of a sneak up on your message. This is eliminate stress. Make these affirmations. Again, on the back table, there are 25 or 30 of them if you want to pick those up. I will trust God to meet my needs. I will trust God by resting. I will enjoy the beauty God has created. God will guide me at the right time. I don't have to know all the answers if I know God. Number six, God will take care of me. Number seven, God is not finished with me yet. Would you bow your heads? Have you been fearful? Have you been stressed out? Are there some incredibly difficult decisions that you've got to make and you've been wrestling with them and they just make you lose sleep? Cause you have a headache? not feel well. I will not be a slave to fear because he is my savior. Is he yours? If he's your savior today, all of these affirmations can apply to you. Every promise in Psalm 23 can apply to you. If you're not his child, if you have yet to receive Christ as your personal savior, then this morning, right now, ought to be the time you do it. And with every head bowed, I'm not going to embarrass anyone. But I want to give you an opportunity to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior and your God. You say, preacher, how do I do that? First of all, acknowledge that you're a sinner. Secondly, believe that Jesus is the Son of God and he died for you on the cross and rose again. Thirdly, put your faith and trust in him. 
If you want to do that right where you're seated, then you could pray to the Lord in your heart. You don't have to pray audibly. You can pray audibly if you want to. It wouldn't bother me one little bit. But if it's your desire, then I want you to pray something like this. I want you to say, Dear God, I know that I am a sinner. I know I've failed you in so many ways. But I believe that Jesus is your son. And by faith, I believe he died on the cross and was buried and rose again. And I believe that if I confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that God will save me. Because you've said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This morning, right now, I want you to take away my sins. I want you to forgive me. I want to be your child. Come into my life. Transform me into a whole new person. I want to trust you from this day forward. In Jesus' name, every head still bowed. If you just now prayed that prayer, just now, by faith, prayed that prayer. Would you raise your hand up real high? Hold it up real high. Not ashamed. God bless you. Are there others? Anyone else? God bless you. Thank you. You can put your hand down. Anybody else besides these? God bless you. Thank you. Anyone else? I just prayed that prayer, Pastor. I meant it with all my heart. Father, now I'm thankful and grateful for these who prayed that prayer. And others who need to, Lord, I pray you would prompt them to do so, to turn to you in faith, to make that most important of all decisions. God, we ask you to lead us and guide us in this invitation. And Father, if someone needs to come and just, just say, you know what, I prayed that prayer, then give them the courage and the strength they need to, to walk down to the front and shake my hand and tell me that. Father, if someone else is wanting to join the church or wanting to be baptized or, or just needing to come and pray with someone, then I pray you would lead them to come. And God, give us the courage we need to live in difficult days. May we not be fearful and afraid, but full of faith and trust. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we stand together wherever you're seated? If there's something you need to do for God today, God has impressed upon you, the Holy Spirit has impressed upon you, then I want you to come down here. I'll meet you right down here. My wife is here. Rachel is here. Fitz is here. Come on right now. Let us know you trusted Christ. Let us know you've got something you're praying about, some big decision. Let us know you want to just talk to God, whatever it is. Come ahead as they lead us in a song.